0: John chapter 3, reading from verse 9, verse 1, 1 to 9. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. Father, as we come to open your word, we bring to you our minds and our experiences. We lay them before you. And we pray for open hearts and humility in our spirits that we would learn from you. We ask you to forgive us where we have adopted an attitude where we know. We pray for the, the inquisitive nature and the, the integrity of a Nicodemus that is willing to speak and wrestle And cry out, how can this be? Before the King of Kings. And so we pray, Jesus, for your Spirit to be present among us this morning. That we would learn something this morning that will change our lives. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Let me get something. I'm bringing the stones to you again. What's that? It's a stone, right? It's no catch, it's a stone used to do um, some marketing workshops in in business with people and say, um, how are you going to sell this? How are you going to sell this? How do you sell a stone? How do you sell ice to an Eskimo? And the issue is, well, you find out who your customers are. You find out what they think, what is important to them, and then you approach them from that angle. So if you, if I take, uh, for example, the the personality uh, profiles that we talked about before in the True Colors workshop some of us did, we might say that there are four main personality types. There's the the person who's very analytical and so-called intellectual. There's the person who's very experiential. There's a person who's very relational and there's a person who really likes everything organized. Now that w- We don't live in absolutes but those are headlines and you'll all fit under one of them. So if I come along and I say um, I'm going to market or try and sell or try and persuade you about the stone if I know that you're an intellectual type you're a little bit stiff-necked and arrogant and you, you pride your brain I will say, you know what this is? And I'll tell you the history of it. I'll tell you what it's made out of. I'll tell you how, lo- how old it possibly is. And I'll give you a lot of facts about the stone to make it inquisitive to you. And say, so do you realize just what I'm holding here? And why you might want it. If you're a person who likes organization, I probably will start talking to you about the things you can do with this, like using it as a paperweight. It will help you organize your desk. Keep your papers from flying around. Something, you know... Put it as a doorstop so it won't slam your door. Something that helps your life be more organized and tidy. If you're highly relational, you're very feeling. You speak feeling words. So it's how does it feel? It's very smooth. It's very soothing. If you actually put oil on this and just soothe it, it'll actually be a stress reliever. You would love one of these things just to hold as you're listening to me. And it'll just release a lot of stress. And if you're an action person... I might work out some way that you could play a game with this or throw this around or do something that's active. Now this whole preamble is, is about saying, you can say it's just a stone or you can actually present it in a variety of ways that makes it more uh, interesting. One of the things we're talking about is the Kingdom of God and we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And I want to suggest and pray that the way we talk about the Holy Spirit is a bit like the stone. Uh, Sometimes there's a knee-jerk reaction because it's been presented in this way, or as soon as I mention Holy Spirit, somebody thinks, oh grief, that's emotions. Or they go, oh that's tongues. Or that's this, or that's that, and it just kind of is put in a little category, and I know all about that. And I believe God uh, is speaking very, very strongly to us about how he wants to be present among us. And so my challenge in prayer is that as we talk about the person of the Holy Spirit today and what the Holy Spirit does next week, that it will be like presenting the stone in a variety of ways, that we will all hear something new so that we can actually enter into what God has for us and not just shut down with a pre you know, the, a preconception of what it is and take a position that I know about this. I think, unless your life is marked by extraordinary power and extraordinary uh, fruitfulness, you, like me, probably need to learn more about the com- keeping company with the Holy Spirit. So... We've spoken in the last few weeks about the kingdom of God, the kingdom being present, the presence of Jesus among us. And I've been trying to underline and underscore that it's one thing to read the scriptures and to read the scriptures about the different people that wrestled with God right from Genesis uh, to, to the crucifixion and the resurrection. It's one thing to read about that and it's one thing to read about Nicodemus coming to Jesus in the dark and saying, how can this be? It's one thing to re- read about Mary being exposed to the uh, a- the angel who says, you shall become pregnant and you won't be with a man. And she goes, how can this be? And I wonder whether we sing a song like, no mortal man can stand before you. I wonder whether we've not shrunk Jesus and God down to a place where there's no awe, there's no mystery, there's no how can this be that evokes more questions. I pray God that the how can this be evokes us to hunger for more rather than just say I don't understand it so I don't believe it so it's dead. Because it seems to me wherever the kingdom of God was working and that was always where Jesus was present, people rarely struggled because it was different. So one of the hallmarks of God's presence, one of the hallmarks of God's working with us is bringing us to places where we're at the end of our understanding. We don't get it. It rattles our cage. It's a good thing. When Jesus came into the world, God was bringing into the world revelation. Revelation of truth that human beings living in the world could not logically work themselves to because they didn't have the capability of doing it. Revelation means that unless somebody speaks to me into my knowledge base, I won't get it. I need help because I am finite, I am limited in my understanding. And so when Jesus came into the world, he said, I am going to bring you truth that you will not get otherwise. And one of the things that we are trying to wrestle with as a church is how, how is what we have and what we experience and what we follow in Jesus any different if he hadn't been here at all? Maybe he should, you should, know, if he'd just given us a book. There's a huge difference between knowing about and knowing stories about and knowing the real thing. I don't think you can know the real thing without crying out like Nicodemus, how can this be? It's really easy to have a lot of information that doesn't change my life. It just swells my head and stiffens my limbs and my neck. There were a lot of people around Jesus like that. And so Jesus came and he says, I'm going to help you untangle the chaos and the mystery of the world in which you live so that you might see something of God and know something of my Father in the midst of this chaos. And that's why it was good news. And that's why he said, I'll teach you to pray. And when I teach you to pray, I say, let your kingdom come on earth as it will be in heaven. And I want to do a quick overview of that and see if uh, it might help. Because why is it good news? Why is it good news that God came in the form of Jesus and he died on the cross so that my sins would be forgiven? That's often what is portrayed as the good news. Well, that's half news. As we talked about a few weeks ago, coming to the cross and having my sins forgiven is like having a shower at the beginning of the day. It's in preparation for the good news. The good news is that God is something beyond that. So when he says, seek my kingdom, that's after the shower, that's after the cross, that's after forgiveness. The cross is the entrance way. As we looked at Narnia, it's the way through the cupboard into a new place. But unless we live in that new place and enter into that new place, all we do is walk around saying, I'm forgiven or you, which is pretty boring to people who want to live a life. That's why they don't come to church. So there's a point of going, the hardest thing for the people of Israel, I repeat this almost every week, it's easy to get out of slavery on one level, their hardest thing was getting into freedom, possessing the promised land. It's really easy to come to the place of saying, Jesus has forgiven me for my sin. The challenge is, how do I move on from that to become transformed, changed on the inside out, to become his servants in the world in which I live. So a quick overview of the whole world, whole of creation from Genesis to now in ten minutes. In the beginning, God spoke. In the beginning, God spoke. This is actually... Quite important. The beginning of the Bible. Pretty much the first verse. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So what existed in the beginning? In the beginning God created the earth. Imagine to get perspective. Imagine you and I are the angels in God. And this is the earth. Proportionately, this is God's creation. He spoke and the earth became. That's the earth. Got a smiley face on it. And God created the earth and he said, now I want to create a people who will have relationship with me and know the joy of my creation because I just love sharing it. The Spirit of God hovered over the earth. So what existed before the earth and before creation? God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is not substance in tangible form, it's it's spirit. It's a different realm. It's really, really important that we get hold of this. It is not like us. It existed before us, we are created. It is not created. And so, in the beginning, the Spirit of God hovered over the earth, and out of that Spirit of God hovering over and the spoken word of God, stuff was created. God spoke, and things happened. God spoke, and tangible became into a place where there had been nothing tangible before. Anything is possible with God. In the spirit realm, before God created human beings and the earth, there was a spirit realm, including angels as we understand it, and there was rebellion. Satan existed before the creation of the earth. There was tension in the heavens, not equal between two equals, just something rebellious. There's a whole philosophical discussion around this which we don't have time to get into. But I give you a, a very quick one sentence, and that is that in order for God to create, and to create free will and people who could freely love him, he has to allow the real freedom of rebellion, right from the very beginning with the angelic realm as well. So you have, as God creates, you have an enemy who's also saying, I want to sabotage that. Now God knows that, and before the creation of the world, God the Father, God the Spirit, Jesus have already... They're not playing this by, you know, what's going to happen next. They know, Jesus knows before creation that he's going to have to enter that world and do something to rescue a a creation that's rebelled. And so God creates and he places into this world a, a place called Eden where Adam and Eve live. And he communes with them and they know him and and he knows them. And Eden is the the beauty of all God's creation. And into that Eden comes rebellion, comes uh, Satan, a power who can uh, tempt and uh, rebel against God by attacking his children and say, God doesn't mean what he's saying when he says, if you eat of this fruit, you're going to die. And of course, you know the story, they eat of the fruit and they're sent out of Eden. They cannot coexist with God because of their sinfulness. It's a bit like if you catch AIDS, you can't be in a place where others could be infected. It's all those analogies. It's not because God doesn't love, it's just because he cannot be in the presence of evil. It's a bit like if God was fire and evil caused us to be gasoline, if we come together we're fried. So it's not God's being vindictive, it's just if you come close to me you'll be killed, and I love you and I'm going to try and work out salvation for you now. So human beings become part of a world that has become corrupted. It's as if I could paint all this black or something and it would change colour, I would change into something less than what it was created to be. And what happened was human beings adapted to this fallen world. And they began to think this fallen world, that the greatest seduction of the fallen world was there is no God, this is ours. Think of it like somebody come. Uh, you go home, uh, or, or, or you come to Port Albany, and somebody meets you at the at the entranceway to Port Albany and shows you to a home, and says you may have this, and you and you live there. And eventually somebody says, well, that's not theirs to give. This house belongs to somebody else. And what Jesus actually came to do was to say, this world in which you live, and this world in which you actually think that you are God's. This actually belongs to my father, you are squatters here, you are here under his grace. It's not yours. When you start thinking about your possessions and your homes and how you, you, you look after that and you don't like other people encroaching, just bring that a little bit further out and start thinking about well, how do you behave with God with God's stuff, it's all his. Do you, have you and I walked into this home, this earth that is his, and we, we, we own it as if it's ours? And that was the whole uh, power struggle and the whole presence of evil in the world, keeping uh, what God had created initially into something far less pleasant. And so what, came, what happened in, on, in the world was this whole power struggle that went on between human beings for dominance. we could have a, another picture, we could have a picture of a tapestry that is beautiful on the one side and we turn it inside out and there's threads and stuff and you can see glimpses of the colors but you can't see the beauty of the, the creation. That's what happened to the world. It was turned inside out. And everything God valued was hidden and everything Satan really wanted to evoke became the issue. And so you had human beings trying to work out life on earth without God. And it's into that world that Jesus came and he began to turn over the covers of the task tapestry and say this is what it's meant to be but because human beings had such a we, we have no memory of of what it was in perfection it was hard to believe and what you have in reverse when it's turned inside out is in the beginning the spirit gave birth to the tangible when it was turned inside out the tangible was the only reality do you follow me? Stuff became real and the spirit became unreal. It was exactly the opposite. And so Jesus came into the world and said, here is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God's reality is in the spirit. It's in what you don't see with your eyes in your head. You see from your heart, and your spirit. And he began to live a life as a human being with a Spirit's perception that nobody had ever seen before. We'd had glimpses of it because in the Old Testament the Spirit came upon individual people and the power of God came upon people and they did remarkable things. But when Jesus came, the Spirit was beginning to be released. He was preparing the way to release the Spirit to all people. And all the prophets spoke about the coming of this one, the Messiah, the Messiah, who would actually make sense of the world for people. So Jesus came to show us what it is like for us to live with some of the Spirit of God in us as Adam walked in Eden. You and I are created to have the living God living in us. That's why when people come to a relationship with Jesus, they begin to get a sense of fulfillment, a sense of purpose, a sense of foundation. It's the beginning of the spirit re establishing truth in in those of us in all of us who are created by God to have that within us. That's why if you try and look for life or meaning in material possessions, in relationships, in work, in anything else, you end up at a place of dissatisfaction. Jesus came into the world, he lived for 30 years, and then he was baptized in the Jordan River. What was that about? He didn't need to be forgiven for sin. But he did need to be empowered as a human being to do the extraordinary works that God wanted him to do. Jesus was exactly like you and me. Apart from rebellion and sin in our lives, he was exactly like you and me. He had no other strength, he was called the Son of Man he had no other strength other than what he had in the human capacity that's why he said to his disciples when i go i will send my holy spirit the same spirit that dwells in me so that you who are exactly physically like me can do what i have been doing you see we spiritualize this away to a place that's not attainable for us but god is very very pragmatic And what he's doing is, through Jesus, is he's beginning to say, let me turn this thing back into the way I created it to be. The kingdom of God is the restoration of Eden. But it will not exist in our lifetime. So what he's doing, you have creation, you have the spirit hovering, and then you have creation, and then you have the fall, and then you have Jesus coming, and then what he does is he starts moving it all in reverse. So just as you had the Spirit giving birth to the tangible, he says, well, now we're going to have to find, we're going to start from the the tangible, in other words, living in your world where you don't believe anything else exists, and I'm going to teach you how to see the intangible. That's the kingdom of God among you. The power and presence of God in a fallen world, giving clues to Eden and the, the authority of God over all earth, over all sickness, over all disease. I'm not sure where you're following me, but I'm just going (laughs) to hope you are. That's why we have small groups. So you can go and say, what on earth was that about? This is hugely important. Because what I'm trying to lead up to is that Jesus, Jesus came into this world. He did not come in this world to start another religion. He didn't come into the world to start another group of people who read books and judged each other. He came into this world to start a revolution and to reclaim the presence of God, the Father among his created people, where he would be worshipped and he would be the one who was in charge. He was Lord of all. So when Jesus went into the, into the Jordan River, the Spirit came upon him and he was empowered to do ministry. And he did healing, he gave words of knowledge, he did everything, as well as lay down his life. And the evidence of God's presence with him is demonstrate, demonstrated in what Jesus did. And so he says, that wherever I am, the kingdom of God is among you. And the kingdom of God among us is totally different to the world in which we live. None of the values in our world are held in the kingdom of God in the same way. So he says, if somebody hits you, turn the other cheek. He says, love one another. He says, forgive one another. He says, don't worry about material possessions because I'll look after you. Every single one of them would cause us to stand before him like Nicodemus saying, how can this be? How can this be? What Satan does is he waters it all down and says, no, he doesn't really mean that, he means this. He understands. I mean, he understands you need stuff. He just feeds us lies. And the remarkable thing about the spirit of Satan is he takes the truth of Jesus and he spins it, so there's 50% truth there. We all live under lies in the name of Jesus. Because Satan's quite a good Sunday school teacher. As long as he can get us not to believe in the identity and authority we have as followers of Jesus, he doesn't care if we meet for church. He doesn't care if you go to Bible studies. He doesn't care. Because they have no power. It won't change anything. And he's winning at this point, isn't he? In the Western world. He's got us so emasculated believing so little that we really just have a human version of the Kingdom of God. And so I think God's just trying to get our attention and say, it doesn't have to be that way. I didn't come for that. I didn't come for just another version of you. I came to transform you. And I came to transform you radically. And so my son Jesus, when he came, that is what I call you to be. And I'm not calling you to be that on your own. I'm saying, You need help, just as he needed help. If Jesus needed to be filled with the Spirit in order to do what he did to follow God, how much more do I? And so the disciples were amazed at Jesus. We've read about this. They were amazed at Jesus. They didn't make sense of him. They kept on wrestling with him. And I keep on repeating my sa- the same thing. You know, Simon Peter wrestled with Him, cried tears, ran away crying, Saul got mad with Jesus and killed people because he thought it was all wrong. And God had to confront them. How much more do we expect to have to wrestle? And I'm saying that to encourage us. Don't be afraid of wrestling. Don't be afraid of being authentic. God loves authenticity as long as you're honest. There's nothing worse than trying to follow Jesus when you don't really believe it and you'd rather be doing something else. He would much rather you said to him, I'd rather be doing something else, but if you're true, I want you to get me to the degree that I want to be with you. That's what my prayer has been. It's always been that prayer for me. Lord, unless I can feel a passion for you to be able to stand up and do stuff and want to, I, I don't want to follow you. And I haven't. I mean, when I haven't, I haven't. I've spent quite a few years struggling because I value integrity and I value authenticity. And whether whether, whether I have to say, I'm a sinner, then deal with it, I am a sinner. But part of the dynamic of the kingdoms clashing is they clash in me. And that's why you need to learn authenticity. You have to learn how to handle your earthenness as well as the Spirit of God. And Satan will accuse you with it and Jesus will encourage you with it. And he says, apart from me you can do nothing. Then I have a choice. It's Lord, will I let you move further in me like like Simon Peter did or Saul did? Or will I just deny my sin and get on with living my life and ask Jesus to be a little veneer on the top? Next week we're going to talk about the gifting of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Because the presence of God's Spirit can't be faked. Because you can't fake healing, you can't fake joy, you can't fake love, you can't fake forgiveness. You can try. But if I nudge you a little bit, I'll soon see that it's actually just flaking off. And so will you. And so the wonderful good news that God gave through Jesus was, I have come to change you from the inside out and give you a new spirit. I want to give you the spirit of Eden. The spirit that hovered over the earth, the spirit that lived in Jesus, is going to be present in you. So he told his disciples, as we wind up, because I want to do this over two weeks, what we talked about before, he told them to wait in Jerusalem until you receive power. He promised that in John 14. In John 14, it's a well-known passage, but he says this, It's well known in the Bible. I'm not sure it's well known in our lives. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command and I will ask the Father and He will give you another. So we get the, we will obey what I will obey, uh, you will obey what I command. We kind of, that's the part we probably gravitate to as like, this is killjoy stuff. It's more obedience, obedience, obedience. But it's actually relationship, relationship, relationship and out of the relationship you'll start doing what I ask. Just talk to people who date and fall in love. Their behavior changes. That's how God works. He's not trying to press gang us into anything. He's saying, if you actually pay attention to my re- your relationship with me, that's the key to changing your behavior. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. And that will be the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. That's who we are. We are the world. We neither see him or know him before Jesus works in us and before the Holy Spirit is released in us. We always have these two dynamics. So you can know for sure that you're only seeing some things. There's more to see and know. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. You see, Jesus isn't intending for his disciples to do anything for him. He's intending for the disciples to follow him beyond his death into the resurrection. He's intending his disciples to have company while they're on earth forever. As long as they're on earth, they will have the company of God. So, he promises them the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost. And remember in verse uh, John 3, 6, it says, uh, Flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. So, Jesus is resurrected and he appears to the disciples. And then he disappears. And six weeks later, the Holy Spirit is poured out. So, Fred, come in, please. Don't worry, I'm not going to embarrass you. Not today. You're a grandfather. Fred Fred comes to Jesus, and Fred gives his life to Jesus and don't stop crying yet and and Fred gives his life to Jesus and says and the Holy Spirit is, is Jesus' gift to, to Fred so the Holy Spirit is a person see the disciples when they walked with Jesus they, they after the resurrection they could have stood around saying, "Let me tell you about Jesus and, and you know we we Sucks to be you. We were there. And we saw him and we walked with him. We saw him do miracles and he did all this kinds of stuff. Uh, We don't know how to do it now because he's not here. Um, So we have a story to tell and we believe he's the son of God, but I guess it's back to life as normal and we had a dream. Without the Holy Spirit being released, that's all you have. You have another book written, which is the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the accounts of Jesus, and then you have a story in history where God once was here once. But Jesus said, that's not what I've come to do. I've come to open up this door so that everybody after me can actually enter into relationship with Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will be to us what Jesus was to those disciples. So Jesus says, Peter said, when they said, what do we do after Pentecost? He said, repent, be baptized, and be filled with the Spirit. And being filled with the Spirit means receive the Spirit Jesus says, repent and be baptized. He means forgiveness of sin is the gateway into the kingdom. You need to deal with what separates you from God, which is sin. So you go to the cross. He does that by the blood of Jesus. And he says, now receive the Spirit. The Spirit walks in from the other side and says, hi, Fred, how are you? He embraces you and he says, well, Jesus sent me. So where's the Spirit now? The Spirit is here. Fred's still here. He doesn't see because I'm moving from the Spirit. I'm the Spirit of God hovering over creation with Fred. And Jesus says, now my spirit will lead you into all truth. So what happens then? Well, the spirit is very polite. And you either go, I have the spirit, or the spirit has me. So Fred has two options. You can say, well, I'm filled with the spirit, now I'll carry on doing whatever I like, because the fallen kingdom is also very present in him. Or you can begin to say, Jesus, thank you for your spirit. Spirit, what would you like me to do? He says, well, I'd like you to pray for that woman. I can't do that. So Fred goes up and he, and he says, I can't do this, but Spirit, why do you? And the power of the Spirit is the presence of the Spirit through the earthen vessel that is Fred or me all the time. It's got nothing to do with what you are capable of or I am capable of. It's got everything to do with allowing God's Spirit to actually restore what he wants to restore. So what God does is he looks around and says, well this place is broken, this is the backside of the tapestry. Let's turn it over. How do we do that? We undo the work of Satan. How do we do that? We start speaking about healing. We start speaking about love. We start speaking, how do I do that? I say, Jesus, I can't do that, but you can do that in me. The Holy Spirit becomes the company of Jesus with me every single day as a person. And that is what begins to bring transformation. It is not just power abstract, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is Jesus alive among us today. You had God the Father creating, you had Jesus the Son going to the cross to break the barrier between God and human beings, and you have the Holy Spirit starting to make what is invisible, tangible and real to us because we can't get it ourselves. Does that make any sense? Next week what I want to do is basically say, well, how do you live with the Holy Spirit? How do you keep company with the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? And I hope we get beyond just, oh, he does this and that and I don't want that. We want to get to the place where we are absolutely intrigued with what would have happened if the Holy Spirit actually led me more and did more, I gave him more time to work. So when we're praying for each other at the back, we need to dial down. We need to start, Fred, what do you need prayer for? I... I, We need actually to stop asking so many questions and just say, I'm here in a tangible expression of God's love, but the Holy Spirit is the invisible expression of His power and His presence. So Holy Spirit, when I ask, we say come, we just invite the Holy Spirit to do what He does, because He has been released through the crucifixion and the resurrection and Pentecost. And so Jesus says the Holy Spirit is every single one of our friends leading us into truth, and the way you start hearing the Holy Spirit is you start listening to your conscience, you start listening to the vibes inside you, and you start paying attention and start following them and see what happens. God's spirit is strong. we are weak. God's is secure, we are insecure. Satan keeps coming around the other side going, "Hey, talk to me, you're a jerk. You, you, let me remind you what you did yesterday. <laughs> I mean, what right have you got to pray for anybody? You call yourself a Christian? <laughs> the Holy Spirit says that you're saved by grace, brother. You can't, so, you <laughs> so, so you're always going to have that. So you learn to say to Satan, You've been dealt with at the cross, so bless you, bye bye. And then you basically walk in, the, walk in the authority of the Spirit. And you choose every day, every t- all the time. The Spirit will make Jesus real. We'll do that more next time. Thank you. Acts 2.38 is where we're ending off right now. And this is just uh, a promise, which is quite cool, I would have thought. It's a promise uh, that Peter spoke about. And I've already mentioned this uh When God's trying to restore His kingdom, He's turning it all inside out. That's why it's so difficult for us to comprehend. Because we've never seen it like this before. That's why we need to look at Jesus, because He's the one who does know what it's like. And the good news is that He says, I'm going to teach you about life like you've never had it before. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, and some of your children, and a few who are far off. Right? No. Now it says there, the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, and for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now there's some rather perverted and distorted people who start nitpicking about, what well, God doesn't call everyone. But you only do that if you're kind of lame Because God loves everyone and he calls everyone. I wouldn't waste time on that. God calls everyone. And he makes the promise to everyone. That means you. And I just want to encourage you as I encourage myself. That when you come to places like Nicodemus did and said, How can this be? You get all excited because you go, This is cool. I don't understand it. So you get hold of somebody who maybe has lived a little longer than you and you ask them and, and they might go, I don't understand it either. But you press in and you say, well, what does this mean? And God's kingdom begins to be reestablished little bit by little bit in our lives. And then he says, now you go and do this stuff. Go and pray for the sick. Go and we'll do that next week. This week, let's just pray for the person of the Holy Spirit to be at work in, it, in us. Let's stand for a minute.